0: Alright, we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, but I do acknowledge we kind of rushed through the second half of 10 last time, so if there were any uh, lingering thoughts or questions, um, normally I like to ask the question, what kind of application can we make, and I don't know if I had a chance to do that, so uh, what were your thoughts, questions from chapter 10? Seven.
1: the one verse that means more to me than any
2: in chapter 10 is 18 hmm. for it is not the one who commends himself who is approved,
0: but the one who the Lord commends. yes absolutely because there was a lot of that going on there right these, these men who were looking out and, and comparing themselves with each other and thinking yeah we're doing great as they are, we are human beings, aren't we? And it it never amounts to anything productive, because it's either going to, I'm going to look out at somebody and think, I'm doing way better than they are, and that's going to produce feelings of of conceit and things that are not godly, or, I might look at someone and think, man, they're doing so much better than me, and I'm worthless, and I'll never amount to that, And, uh, and, and envy and jealousy may start arising. When we compare ourselves with ourselves, that's that's, that's unhealthy for us. Who are we to compare ourselves with? With Christ. And who are we to be seeking commendation from? From Christ. And uh, I did want to kind of throw that out there. How do we do that? How, how do we know that we are receiving commendation from Christ? I have not received a letter of commendation from Christ himself. How do I? She's holding it up. We look at the book... We look at the standard. We read about who God is. We read about who Jesus is. And we say, am I living that way? Am I walking that way? And the, again, there's a, there's a tendency that we could look at that and go, well, Jesus is perfectly holy. God is purely righteous. He's holy. And I'll never amount to that. And that could produce feelings of, of discouragement and hopelessness. But we know that through Christ we receive strength. When we ask for wisdom, he'll give it. He forgives us when we sin. And so we're looking at that standard, and he's helping us achieve it, and it inspires us rather than discourages us. Yes.
1: So,
2: that's one way that we can, um, I guess, know, not the only way. Sure. The second way, but, you know, if we love one another, we will share our
3: lives with one another and have that, um, those conversations.
0: Absolutely. And that, that that's one of the many, many blessings of a church family, is we're open with each other, we're honest with each other. And, and, and you guys are helping me when I step out of line and, and I can help you, and we're encouraging each other when we see each other doing something well. We're not only approaching people when we do something wrong, we approach people and say, that, that was really encouraging, that was really inspiring. Thank you for doing that. And, and we encourage <coughs> and, and motivate service among each other. Um, yeah, that's what fame is for. Um, we, don't, we don't do those things seeking that commendation. That's not my motivation that I only serve God because I hope people notice. Uh, Jesus had plenty of things to say about that. But it is a natural result that when people see the good works that we do, they may glorify our Father in heaven. And and it is motivating and and encouraging to us. So absolutely, verse 18 really does kind of sum up that section where he's saying, look, this is foolishness for these, these false apostles to be doing this they're setting up this easily achievable standard and saying, look how impressive we are. And he said, that's, that's not what this is about. And he'll go into, in chapter 11, he, said, he says, basically, they're setting me up against their own standard and their methods, and let me show you the foolishness of what they consider to be impressive. Paul's going to go into that. Uh, what else about chapter 10? Okay, then let's truck on into 11. Micah's thinking about it now. Cool. Do we have a a volunteer, someone who, uh, we're only going to cover, Lord willing, the the first 15 verses, but I would love to read the whole chapter in its context. Do we have someone willing to do that for us? Micah will do that for us. Thank you.
4: Oh, that you bear with me in a little folly, and indeed, you do bear it for me. For I'm jealous for you with godly jealousy, for I have betrothed you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear lest somehow, as the servant deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he who comes preaches another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or if you receive a different spirit which you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you may well put it up with it. For I consider that I am not at all inferior to the most eminent apostles. Even though I am untrained in speech, yet I am not in knowledge. But we have been thoroughly manifested among you in all things. Did I commit sin in humbling myself that you might be exalted because I preached the gospel of God to you free of charge? I robbed other churches, taking wages from them to minister to you. And when I was present with you and in need, I was a burden to no one. For what I lacked, the brethren who came from Macedonia, supplied. And in everything, I kept myself from being burdensome. To So I will keep, uh, and so I will keep myself. As the truth of Christ is in me, no one shall stop me from this boasting in the regions of Achaia. Why? Because I do not love you, God knows. Uh, But what I do, I will also continue to do, that I may cut off the opportunity from those who desire an opportunity to be regarded just as we are in the things of which they boast. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers' of righteousness, whose end will be according to their words. I say again, let no one think me a fool. If otherwise, at least receive me as a fool, that I may also boast a little. When I speak, I speak not according to the Lord, but as it were, foolishly, in this confidence of boasting, seeing that many boast according to the flesh, I also will boast. For you will put up with fools gladly, since you yourselves are wise. For you put up with it if one brings you into bondage. If one devours you, if one takes from you, if one exalts himself, if one strikes you in the face, to our shame I say that we were too weak mad. But in whatever anyone it is bold, I speak foolishly, I am bold also. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors for abundant, stripes above measure, in prisons, both, uh, abundant, and stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently, in deaths often. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Journeys often in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own country, in perils of the gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. Besides the other things, what comes upon me daily? My deep concern for all the churches. Who is weak, and I am not weak? Who is made to stumble, and I do not burn with indignation? If I must boast, I will boast on the things which concern my infirmity. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is blessed forever, knows that I am not belonging in Damascus, the governor, under Aratus, the king was guarding the city of the Damascenes with a garrison, desiring to arrest me, but I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped from his
0: hands. Thank you. So I know it's a, a larger section here. Let's talk about the whole chapter, uh, what what jumped out to you, and then we'll we'll focus on the first fifteen verses for tonight. What strikes you about this, this <laughs> section? Bob?
2: Well, it starts out in this section talking about uh, a different gospel. Uh, and you follow so closely. You have to make sure you think of something else that is written elsewhere. Like Galatians 1, verse 6, where he was surprised, astonished. Uh, they were so quickly deserting you, who called you to the grace of Christ, and are turning to a different gospel. Right. So the Corinthians are doing
0: something very similar. Yeah, and and the temptation was real. You know, this is Corinth. That was Galatia. Um, he clarifies in Galatians one. He's not that there is another one, but there are some who would trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. So this thing was delivered, it was delivered through people like Paul, through Jesus himself, it was delivered by Peter on the day of Pentecost, and he said there are some who are taking that and not throwing the whole thing out, they're just distorting it, they're they're changing it, they're turning it into something that it was not meant to be. That's a tactic Satan has been using since the garden, right? He'll just change a couple of words and fundamentally alter the instruction of God. We're going to talk about that here in a second. So yeah, he's he's warning them. I, I see this this potential temptation here for you. That there are some who are going to teach you not just a different gospel. He says a different Jesus. They're going to preach Jesus. But it's not the Jesus we preach to you. They're going to come in a spirit. But it's a different spirit than the one you received. And so he's, he's trying to say, be on on the alert, depending on your translation. I know Micah said um, you may readily put up with it. Um, uh, The ESV and others say you you put up with it readily enough. Um, So there's some debate as to whether they had already allowed this to start happening among them. Um, Whether that had or not, he's saying there's a real potential here. Be careful. Um, There are some among you who are trying to distort the gospel. Um, Yes
3: reading this chapter, my heart uh, just aches for Paul and how
0: often he has to do this. There are so many letters where he has to spend so much time um, defending himself and that has to be so discouraging when he just pours out his life for Jesus and for his brethren and then has to be distracted by this discouragement of always having to defend himself. To people even who
3: should know better people
1: who knew him.
0: Right. And then I think that also helps us appreciate uh, when he does commend people like Silas and Titus and others who bring him good news and refresh his spirit, how, how much he needed that uh, because he was, he was frequently in discussions like this um, that could, could have torn him down completely. Um, but I, I do see it's, it's the love that he has for these people that, that prompts him to keep, keep at it and keep going. Um, to encourage them and, and and exhort them to rebuke them at times. Um, so yeah, I, I do. I really do hear Paul's personality in this. What did you notice about uh, how he speaks to them? This is not the only place that he does it. I think Micah did a good job in his reading of it. What were you kind of detecting in his in his tone? A little bit of sarcasm. A little bit and maybe I'm just attuned to it because I speak fluent sarcasm. Um, He'll say things like, uh, honestly, verse 4 was was kind of the the first one. Well, no, verse 1. I wish you would bear with me in a little foolishness. Do bear with me. In verse 4, he says there are others proclaiming a different Jesus, a different spirit, a different gospel, and you put up with it readily enough. Verse 6, even if I am unskilled in speaking, it does seem like he's, he's quoting a, another accusation made against him. So e- even if I am no good at speaking, um, he says, uh, I mean, there are more, but verse 16, 17, and 18, I repeat, let no one think me foolish, but even if you do... Accept me as a fool, so that I may, too, boast a little. (laughs) What am I saying with this boastful confidence? I say not with the Lord's authority, but as a fool. Since many boast according to the flesh, I, too, will boast. For you gladly bear with fools, being wise yourselves. That one especially. (laughs) He said, this is a common behavior for you. You're putting up with foolishness, so I'll add to the mix. Let me be foolish with you and then he starts going into defending his apostleship by pointing out all the difficulties that he's had to suffer doing a very different type of defense than we might have expected Yeah. The
4: phrase that I've heard
3: uh, several times recently and I'm probably going to be it. but what Satan meant for evil God made for good and Paul just seems to embody this and so even when he's attacked, he's like, yeah, I can be foolish. I am but it's all working towards the benefit of both me spiritually and the kingdom spiritually. So he seems to be this embodiment of, of evil trying to tear down, yet God's still being able to raise up into the
0: Yes, absolutely. Please don't misunderstand me. Paul was a human, he was not faultless. So just because he used sarcasm you did not hear from Craig tonight that sarcasm is absolutely appropriate under every circumstance don't, don't do that uh, read your audience and adapt um, man I, I could tell you stories when I was in high school where I, uh, the D. Hutt family again we speak fluent sarcasm and we love it, we think it's hilarious we discovered, I discovered late in life that not everyone appreciates that I I nearly destroyed several friendships because I couldn't understand why they didn't speak the way we did. Well, then it was up for me to adapt um, because that's not well appreciated. Paul does it here, but again, it is surrounded on all sides with him pouring his heart out. They know he loves them. So even when he speaks like this, they didn't and we shouldn't doubt his genuine affection and love for these people. I do hear him in this chapter trying to get them to see, with the use of sarcasm, the foolishness that they are engaging in. And, and he's pointing out um, especially uh, some of the, the foolish methods that these others are using. What else overall? And then we'll kind of jump into first one. So he does say, he wishes that, he, that they would bear with him in a little foolishness. He says, I feel a divine jealousy for you. What analogy does Paul use here to describe his work among this church? And, and what does it make us think of? What other passages does it make us think of? Which fits, because um, earlier in, in his, uh, his first letter, second letter, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, he calls himself their father in, in the faith, right? And so he's, he's actually continuing that analogy, saying, I'm, I'm actually, my desire is to present you to your husband. I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. And, and Paul didn't originate this type of of theme. Jesus himself referred to himself as the bridegroom. He refers to himself um, and and speaks of in the book of Revelation that the church will eventually be presented to him. The church is his bride, presented to him, the bridegroom. Ephesians 5, James chapter 4, uses this type of terminology. Um, Yes, Michael. Oh, I'm sorry, Josh.
3: So that analogy, I wish it didn't continue like it does in the verse three, because verse three kind of corrupts the image a little bit, right? They're being presented as a pure virgin, but he calls out that they may be seduced away from that purity, and so that brings my mind to well, the bright thing reminded me of the image of the bright room in Revelation, but then this verse reminds me of similar illustration in the book of Ezekiel. Where in in that illustration, God's people, yeah, they become this pure wife, but then they go off the rails and prostitution with other nations, and yet God's love is still shown through that. So this isn't a doom and gloom warning because they still have hope to turn away from that situation.
0: Yes. Yeah. So what you're referring to in Ezekiel is a is a graphic graphic depiction of the the adultery that Israel commits with with their husband with God right that God raises them up gives them all of these incredible gifts and riches and 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 crowns her with beauty and accepts her takes her in and it is not long where she actually takes those gifts those blessings from God and uses those to Israel actually goes and seduces the other nations. She actually goes and and presents herself um, in in adultery, in, in in prostitution, and he's warning them of that. Uh, again, James chapter four uses that same type of. He calls them adulterous people. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity towards God? Um, this is a, a theme throughout Scripture. Um, God loves us. That covenant relationship he wants with us is so bad. And he wants it undefiled and pure and beautiful, like marriage ought to be. Um, and I do appreciate Ezekiel is graphic, and it's hard to listen to, but even in the midst of that, it's, it's disgusting and it's despicable, God still says, if you're willing, I'll take you back. Even after all you've done. I'm, I'm still here. I, I'm still willing to come and, and take you back. I'm sorry, Bob.
2: I think it's really interesting when he starts out and saying, bear with me in little foolishness. Okay. sounds like he's going to start saying something funny. You know, okay, here's some really funny stuff. He's serious. huh There's no foolishness in this. This is serious, man. And he points out that way. And, uh, you know, those who uh, regular against him may be talking foolishes. foolishness. He's
0: not. Yeah, yeah, this is serious. And, and, and Paul um, Paul wants them to see the situation here by using that, that imagery. Paul refers to Satan twice in this section. He does it there in verse three. Um, he refers to him as the serpent. Revelation does clarify for that. Lets us know that the serpent is Satan. Um, and then he he calls him out specifically in verses fourteen and fifteen. What what points is he trying to make by by bringing Satan up here? And and what's some application for us? And Micah on the way.
4: Um, I appreciate that uh, Paul is not blind to the fact that Satan is constantly on the offensive on the attack Hmm. um that um, that and and for application for us we we can see in in among us that god is active in us helping us to grow and working in us but we can be fools if we think that satan is not doesn't care about uh our, our congregation and uh, that he, he's uh, trying to use him, uh, that, yeah. that he's yeah. always
0: trying to, uh, <clears throat> try to he is and, and it's a sobering thought um, it's a terrifying thought um, and yet we you know God is more powerful we are given throughout the scriptures the tools that we can use to defend ourselves against him Uh, So we're not helpless against him. And one of the key tools that we have is to recognize him for what he is and to recognize his tactics. And so, um, before we go into this Bob.
2: Throughout the Bible, we have so many pictures of Satan. He's a liar. Uh, He's uh, deaf. He is uh, just, he's seeking out to devour us. Uh, He's trying everything possible to foil God's plans. He has to out of all history. And and so Paul bringing them up here is pointing out how, again, how serious this is. These false teachers, who's behind them? Satan. And so they need to understand that. That is not coming from God.
3: It's coming from Satan.
0: Yeah. Yeah,
3: Yeah, you called out Satan being in verse 3 in 14. uh, Just looking at 14, I'm uh, kind of hit by the way he
0: Yeah, I mean, he's, he's certainly saying, you know, it shouldn't surprise you. These are the tactics we know Satan has used. The servants, are, are, uh, the servants of him are, are learning from him. They're going to use the, the same tactics. Um, I know that there are some um, that have thoughts of, I'm going to wreak havoc against Christ's church. I mean, look at our culture. <laughs> we can clearly see that that is happening. There are people who are anti-Christian, anti-God. They want to destroy the work of God. Um, I'm, I'm not sure exactly if that's what these, these false apostles are thinking. I want to oppose God and Jesus. We clearly see that they want to oppose Paul. We clearly see by the fruit of their actions that they are opposing God and Jesus. But I don't know if they're waking up in the morning thinking, I'm a false apostle and I'm going to be really good at this job today. Um, maybe, maybe I was misunderstanding Yes,
3: you know, if, if, if they believe that they're true apostles and they're really striving to uh, win people to Christ, it would follow them that their tactics are more Christ-like yes.
0: than they are. Yes. And that's what Jesus said, right? You will know them by their fruit. And so they may say things that sound good and noble and right, but if the fruit being born from their actions are not the fruit of the Spirit but the works of the flesh, then you will know them by their fruit, who, who they are truly serving. Um, it is it is one of the reasons why Jesus said in Matthew 7, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but those who do the will of my Father. So they may say to themselves and they may say to others, I'm serving God, I'm serving Christ. But if the fruit being born of their actions are fruit not of Christ, um, then they are... They are deceiving others, they may very well even be deceiving themselves. Someone's got to hang hand um,
1: I I just wanted to capitalize on that idea of being, them being, being deceiving and being it says led away. Um, if you leave an animal away, you have to come out nice and inviting. Yeah. You have to put a on so you can get
3: close to them and then gently encourage them to come. Yeah. It's so I think sometimes we have only at the idea of a Lord mind But there's the other side that's hey, did you think about well, what about maybe you could, yeah. maybe you are, maybe you deserve. And it's all those little things yeah. that you have to be on board just as much as a like, big old lion. Because it's led away, it's not taken away. Right.
0: We always have the decision.
3: Right. But we have to watch that we're not drifting.
0: Right. Yeah, think about what Satan did. And he he recalls this story of the serpent deceiving Eve. Think about what Satan did with Eve. He did not come to Eve and say, God's a liar. He hates you. He doesn't want what's good for you. Come and follow me. What did he do? Did God really say this? And he added a word or two. Which fundamentally altered that instruction and cast doubt on God's care. Is God trying to keep something good from you? And so Eve starts thinking. Did God really say? So God, uh, Satan uses different types of, of thought processes, questions that, that plague us. Doesn't God want you to be happy? Would a good God really send someone to hell? Does that sound like a good God to you? And there are many others. They seem harmless on their face, but questions like that make us go, is God being honest with me? Does God really have my best interest at heart? Satan's been using this from the beginning. So think about what these, these people here, these super apostles are doing with Paul. Does Paul really care about you? He's not taking money from you, but do you think maybe it's because? And we've got to be on guard. um, Tactics like that, Bob.
2: They may not feel well. Likely, they do not feel that they're bad people. The deceivers have been deceived, and so they're spreading that deception. And you know, that's something that we need to look at ourselves. Yes. Are we following Christ, like Paul said to follow Christ? Or are we allowing something else to influence us to something different? And when we take that to others, what are we doing? We're deceived. We're yeah. deceiving others. So not only do we need to guard against being deceived, Yes. We need to guard against deceiving as well.
0: Yes, thank you for reminding us of that. Bible study ought to be, first and foremost, introspective. Because it's really easy to read it and go, I know who needs to read this. (laughs) Me. Me. And so if I'm reading this and saying, wow, there are people out there who very well may be anti-God, but more than likely are simply so self-deceived that they are using these tactics of Satan to deceive other people, I need to step back and go, what are my motivations when I try to convince people of things? What what am I doing when I'm trying to encourage people? Am I using questions like this? Or thought processes like this? But they're good people. And am I allowing myself to put on a disguise that looks like a worker of light? But, but what are my motivations? This is about me. I've, I've got to do that. You've got to do that. Now, there are times, Paul does it, he's doing it here, where study is also intended for us to lovingly go to our brother or sister, right? And encourage and exhort and rebuke when necessary. But study is, is primarily introspective, because I can't get the log out of my brother's eye, or the speck out of my brother's eye, until I've gotten the log out of my own. Yes, Michael?
4: You can just see throughout scriptures all the different ways that, that Satan tries to pull us away, or push us away. Um, you can see in the book of Revelation things such as persecution, worldliness, and, and false religion, um, and, and one other thing you can see, especially in, in verses uh, 13 through 15, is the, the reliance on self and me trying to do things myself, which has actually been a theme throughout the book. Whenever in chapter 1, verse 9, um, Paul learns to not trust in himself but in, in the one who can uh, deliver him. And in chapter 3, mm-hmm. uh, verses 4 and 5, talking about we are not sufficient of ourselves. Mm-hmm. That we can't that um, in chapter 4, verse 5, we do not preach ourselves. And and, and this idea continues to go on in chapter 5 and fifth, in verse 15, that those who die should no longer live for themselves uh, but for him who died for them all and rose again and and you saw that especially in chapter 10 that we that were casting down arguments and everything every thing that insults itself mm-hmm. and in chapter 10 uh, verses 12 and following comparing ourselves looking at ourselves um, paul really he says the only time that he does really commend himself is in chapter 6. He says he commends himself as a minister of God, I really focusing on what God has turned him uh, into. Yeah. And, and for me, I cannot transform myself right. into what God wants me to be. Uh, it is really God who does that transformation. And yet in verse and in verse 14, Satan transforms himself. And whenever he transforms himself, it looks like an angel of light, but it really isn't. And and it says that these other false uh, accusers, these false teachers, are transforming themselves. So so for me, Satan can get to me if I am trying to do things by myself.
0: Right. Through our own strength, through our own uh, self-righteousness, as, as Luke talked about, right Sunday Sunday evening, the older brother, look at all the things that I've done myself. That should be good enough. And yeah, Paul is is regularly reminding us. Look, our strength comes from Christ. Our forgiveness, that grace, that mercy—it's not of my own. I I, I get it from Christ. Um, so neither should we consider. Well, if I just this temptation that's plaguing me, I just I need more self will, right? I can push through this. No, no. We can't. We're not enough. We're not enough, but He is. We're weak. Paul will go on to boast about his weaknesses because when he's weak, Christ's strength is demonstrated. Right? And so we, we aren't. We aren't enough. And so we reach for Him. We strive for Him. We, we stand in the things that we know Praying fervently that, that Christ will fill us with the things that we need. Um, because we, we are not enough. And it, again, it comes back to these, these men are, are commending themselves. they saying, we are enough. Look at what we've done. Look at, look at the things that, that we are capable of. And Paul, very humbly, truthfully, uh, chapters 10, 11, 12, and 13 Yes, we sent some sarcasm here in 11, but Paul really very humbly presents himself as, Look, this is what I'm going to boast about among you. Among you, and, and we'll get more into this on Sunday, but among you, I was imprisoned and in shipwrecks and beaten and despised by people. That's my resume, Paul says. And so it should be, uh, again, introspective for us. What do we boast about? I put a post on social media and 400 people liked it. (coughs) Like, really? I've never had someone like like 400 on a post. but. But is that what we're after? We do a lesson and it gets shared a lot. Or... You know, we, we make a comment and, and a lot of people nod their head. Like, that's not what we're after. That's not what we're after. I'm not looking for the commendation of, of others. Occasional encouragement is nice. Um, but that's not what we're after. We're doing things. We're, we're speaking. We're living. We're acting in a way so that when we turn to the pages of the book, we can say, okay, that's, that's what my master asked me to do. That's what my master commanded me to do as his servant. And, and that's, that's what I'll do to the best of my abilities. We're running out of time. <laughs> we've, we've talked about quite a bit of that. Um, there, there was a comment someone made that the defense in chapter 11 arises from Paul's concern that the Corinthians may yet be enticed by these false apostles. The two words that are keys to this discussion are foolishness or fools. He uses it in verse 1, um, 16, 17, 19, a variation of it, again in 16 and in 21, and boasting. And most of the time that Paul uses it in this chapter, he's using it sarcastically. The false apostles have boasted that they work on the same terms as Paul does. I don't know how your version renders 12, verse 12. I had to read verse 12 several times before I could wrap my brain around what exactly he was saying. The ESV says that what I do, I will continue to do in order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim that in their boasted mission, they work on the same terms as we do. So again, I had (laughs) the New King James and others... Uh, It it sounded circular, but he said, what I've been doing, I'm going to continue to do, and, and the reason I'm going to do that is because I want to undermine the claim that these people are making. And the claim that they're making is that the terms that they're working under are the same terms that we are working on. And he said, let me demonstrate to you how that's not so. And that's really what he gets into in the second half but he says, Paul, however, undermines their claim by boasting of the things which the false apostles consider foolish. He boasts in his humility, in verse 7. He boasts in his labors, in verse 23, and in his weakness, in verse 30. He said, we're not, we're not working under the same terms here. And let me demonstrate that for you. Bob.
2: You, you see, uh bring in the contrast between their boasting and his boasting. Their boasting involves praise for themselves. Mm-hmm. His boasting is things that don't praise him but glorify God because they helped him do what he needed to do. He survived through them so that he could preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's exactly right. And, and so, throughout
0: all this, he doesn't take any of the glory. He boasts, but he doesn't take the glory. He gives all of the glory to God. That's right. Uh, we recently studied through Acts 17, um, and uh, Paul visits uh, Thessalonica, he visits Berea, he visits Athens, and two out of three of those, you would not consider that a, a great response? He's run out of Thessalonica and run out of Berea. He arrives in Athens, speaks in the Areopagus, and it says that a a few said, we'll hear you again, five minutes. We'll hear you again. And so the question was posed, was that a successful trip of Paul? He goes to one city, they don't really want to hear it. A couple of people respond, but mostly they beat the people who are um, associated with him and run him out. And then he arrives in Berea, and uh, when another opposition is made against Paul, he moves on to another city and gets a couple of, of people to respond. Was that a successful trip? Absolutely. It's the same success that Jeremiah had. When God commissioned Jeremiah and said, I'm going to go send you to a people and they won't listen to you. (laughs) They'll oppose you. They don't want to hear it. Now go. And he does. That's a successful servant of the master. It's not, I went here and this church exploded in growth and it was amazing. I mean, praise God if that happens. Great. But maybe you go and you preach and no one listens. Maybe you go to your neighbor and you try to share the gospel with them, and they ridicule you. Maybe you go to your workplace, and you're trying to show them the gospel. Uh, you're trying to shine the light in, in how you respond, and they don't want anything to do with that. Have you been a successful servant of the Lord? Absolutely, you have. So keep at it. Keep going. Keep doing that. Yes. I told Jeremiah that he was sending him there so that people would know the prophet had been. Yes. Yes. That they will know that a prophet has been among them. That's a real discouraging way of judging your success. But it's how God wants us to think about it. Yeah. And even in doing that, even in Jeremiah's attempts, what he was doing, and he did it successfully, was showing the people God loves you and he wants what's best for you. He's trying to save you from yourself that was Jeremiah's life. That was Paul's life. I mean, you get to the end of the book of Acts, and Paul gets to Rome, which was an objective of his, and he does it in chains, by the skin of his teeth. And when he gets there, he's still in jail. The end. It's one of the reasons why, there are a variety of reasons why I'm convinced this thing could not have been written by human beings. None of us would have finished the book of Acts that way. But that was a successful successful life, and it didn't end there. History tells us he went on, he wrote letters even while in prison, and eventually, very likely, was killed for what he professed. Successful? Yes, absolutely. Praise God for a life like that. Gary.
1: Our job is a plan to plant the seed. We don't always get to see it in Germany. When I was a young man, I didn't want anything to do with you, Holy Ghost. And I can, you know, I could spot you of the way and avoid you. And even my wife, she was brought up Catholic, and she had a Christian approach her before she knew better and told her about the one True Church. And my wife went on one side of her and down the other. And she often thinks about her. And she's become a Christian, because she planted that seed, and my you wife know, never got that in touch with her to go back and say, hey, you know, remember, I'm sorry about that, you know, I became a Christian, yeah. and look at me, I became a Christian, and so I believe that everybody at some point in their life, they're going to stop and think about who they are in a relationship to God, and it may not be when we're trying.
0: Yeah, you never know what that seed is gonna do. God gives the increase, right? We are called to be sowers of the seed. We are not called to be evaluators of the soil. Because we could spend our whole lives saying that's probably not gonna grow here. No way would they accept it. No, no. We 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 spread the seed indiscriminately. You
1: know the point on that too, is uh, you know, we talked about the simplicity of Christ. Yes. here in the three safety gets into our heads and tells us that there's got to be a better way, there's got to be a more effective way, more shazam, kapow, present the gospel, Mm -hmm. you know, with fireworks and light display type of a thing. But the, the simplicity of the truth and with man talking to man, talking to man, talking to woman, the gospel is preached throughout the known world. 33
0: years doing it that very simple way.
1: Right? Yeah. And, and we need
0: to remember that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I, I hope that we can do this. Throughout, throughout the, the last few chapters, um, it could be tempting to hear these hard words and, and get a little discouraged. I hope it doesn't. I, I hope it motivates us and encourages us, inspires us uh, to keep after it. I'm inspired and encouraged by what Paul was willing to do for these brothers. I'm inspired by the Corinthian church for responding well. Because we do see them do that. And, uh, and I hope that's an encouragement to all of us as well. Uh, we will do verses 16 through 33, Lord willing, um, on Sunday. Thank you.